Welcome to the Come Follow Me podcast for teens and for parents of teens, a podcast to supplement your weekly study of the Come Follow Me curriculum with thoughts, ideas, principles, stories, and questions all geared towards helping teenagers better follow Christ through their teenage years. Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of the Come Follow Me podcast for teens and for parents of teens. I'm Josh Downs and today's episode is episode 34. We're going to be taking a look at 1 Corinthians chapters 1 through 7 uh, with the theme, Be Perfectly Joined Together. Now as a reminder in going through these particular chapters, and especially the second half of the New Testament, to treat them like you would conference talks. These are basically the apostles' conference talks that they delivered, albeit by letter instead of by video, to the saints all throughout the known world at the, the time. That was the only way that they really had to get their message quickly to address things like false doctrine that was being taught, uh, false practices that began to creep into the church, and, and just to, to bring words of comfort and peace and direction to the saints and, and the members of the church as a whole. One of the things that I came to my mind when I was preparing for this particular Come Follow Me episode, yeah, all of you have heard the phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me, right? You, you know that phrase. But you know what the truth is? Words do hurt, and sometimes they hurt a lot. In fact, I think it was Albus Dumbledore <laughs> that once said, words are, in my not-so-humble opinion, our most inexhaustible source of magic capable of both inflicting injury and remedying it. Words have power. Don't ever think that the words that you say don't have power. In fact, it was just by God proclaiming words and saying words that the universe was created, that miracles happen. There is a pattern in that for us. We can create and we can destroy through the words that we say. Some of life's greatest challenges will be using our own words to bring peace and healing to the world instead of hurt and pain. To bring people together instead of driving them apart. And I think that you'll see this kind of theme throughout Paul's letter to the saints in Corinth who were very divisive at the time. They were very much struggling to come together as a group with so many differences of opinions and practices. It led to a lot of arguing and eventually to contention. And contention always destroys unity. Now the background of these chapters is as follows. During the months that Paul spent in Corinth, many of the Corinthians hearing him believed and were baptized. So it must have been heartbreaking for Paul to hear just a few years later that there were divisions and contentions among the Corinthian saints, and that in his absence they began to heed the wisdom of the world. In response, Paul wrote the letter we now call 1 Corinthians. It is full of profound doctrine, and yet at the same time, Paul seemed disappointed that the saints were not ready to receive all the doctrine that he wanted to give them. I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, he lamented, for ye are yet carnal. As we prepare to read Paul's words, it might be helpful to examine our own readiness to receive truth, including our willingness to heed the Spirit and strive for unity within our families, with our fellow saints, and with God. I think that's a wonderful introduction. I think every single one of you listening can relate. You've seen firsthand the damage that words can do, that division can do, uh, that uh, lack of unity can do to friends, to uh, co-workers, to even your own family. And so the, the principles that are, are taught in here, I would just encourage you wholeheartedly to seek out and to find and then to, 
to try to internalize, to help kind of insulate you against some of the attacks that will certainly come to you from others, but then also to be able to better control your emotions, your anger, your words that you'll want to say at times to other people. It's through those kinds of things that that contention happens, which leads to division. And I know you've seen that just within your own school. That happens all the time. People spreading rumors or gossips or lies or saying things that are hurtful about other people. And it just drives wedges between people and drives people apart. Well, let me give you a few key principles from this week that can help with all of that. I think the first one that we'd have to consider is in chapter 1, verses 10 through 13. In these verses, Paul records, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you, Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I am of Apollos, and I am of Cephas, and I of Christ. But then he asks this great question in verse 13. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Please make sure you mark a couple key phrases from those verses. First of all, in verse 10, that there be no divisions among you. And also that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind. And then, of course, that great question, verse 13, is Christ divided? Have you noticed how quick everyone seems to be to anger these days? How easy it seems to belittle someone, to disparage someone, to tear someone down, or to argue in anger, to make hurtful comments, especially with things like social media and other things like that. Contention is the result of the natural man overpowering the spirit in our lives, which is one of the reasons that we see it so prevalent in the world today. The natural man is having a a heyday right now. He is everywhere and in everyone. So I absolutely love the question that Paul poses that causes us all to maybe stop and reflect a little bit more. Is Christ divided? See, Christ is all about gathering us together. You know this. He's all about bringing us together as friends, as neighbors, and as God's family. While Satan, on the other hand, is all about separation, separating us from each other through anger and sin, while Christ is about bringing us together through love and forgiveness. And one of the reasons I wanted to focus on this one is clearly this is on the Lord's mind right now, as this was just recently delivered to us this kind of message from President Nielsen, in fact, just this past conference, when he reminded us that anger never persuades, hostility builds no one, contention never leads to inspired solutions. Regrettably, he said, we sometimes see contentious behavior even within our own ranks. We hear of those who belittle their spouses and children, of those who use angry outbursts to control others, and of those who punish family members with the silent treatment. We hear of youth and children who bully and of employees who defame their colleagues. My dear brothers and sisters, he said, this should not be. As disciples of Jesus Christ, we are to be examples of how to interact with others, especially when we have differences of opinion. One of the easiest ways, and I love this, to identify a true follower of Christ is how compassionately that person treats other people. Did you catch that? 
One of the easiest ways to identify a true follower of Jesus Christ is how compassionately that person treats other people. Boy, I I want you to take that to heart, young people, and to use that throughout your life to measure where you are in your relationship with Christ. The Savior's message, as President Nelson says, is clear. His true disciples build, lift, encourage, persuade, and inspire. No matter how difficult the situation, true disciples of Jesus Christ are peacemakers. He goes on to say, my dear brothers and sisters, how we treat each other really matters. How we speak to and about others at home, at church, at work, and online really matters. Today I am asking us to interact with others in a higher, holier way. Please listen carefully, he said. And when a prophet says that, young people, I would strongly, strongly encourage you to listen. He said, if there is anything virtuous, lovely, or of good report or praiseworthy that we can say about another person, whether to his face or behind her back, that should be our standard of communication. If a couple in your ward, he said, gets divorced, or a young missionary returns home early, or a teenager doubts his testimony, they do not need your judgment. They need to experience the pure love of Jesus Christ reflected in your words and actions. If a friend on social media has strong political or social views that violate everything you believe in, an angry, cutting retort by you will not help. Building bridges of understanding will require much more of you, but that is exactly what your friend needs. Contention drives away the spirit every time. Contention reinforces the false notion that confrontation is the way to resolve differences, but it never is. Contention is a choice. Peacemaking is a choice. You have your agency to choose contention or reconciliation. I urge you to choose to be a peacemaker now and always. And then he concludes with this. If you are serious about helping to gather Israel and about building relationships that will last throughout the eternities, now is the time to lay aside bitterness. Now is the time to cease insisting that it is your way or no way. Now is the time to stop doing things that make others walk on eggshells for fear of upsetting you. Now is the time to bury your weapons of war. If your verbal arsenal is filled with insults and accusations, now is the time to put them away. Will you arise as a spiritually strong man or woman of Christ? He was very direct, wasn't he, in this past conference, that this was an issue. This was something that clearly has been seeping throughout really the entire world and apparently within the church as well. And so I have no qualms about taking time to really go through some of these key points in his talk and sharing them with you, especially as it relates to this principle, Is Christ Divided? Because that's the reason why President Nelson would spend the time that he did to deliver this message. There is too much division in the world and there's too much division in the church and within us as members, within our homes, within our families, within our communities, within our friends, and it needs to change. And the only way it changes is one person at a time who makes the decision and the choice to allow contention to go, to flee from it, to run away from it, to certainly not be a part of it, and instead choose to be a peacemaker. And young people, you can choose to be that in a powerful way among your friends, among your classmates, uh, among your family, your community, everywhere you go. You have that power, the power of your words and your actions to bring about positive change, 
to bring about remedy instead of anything that is hurtful. Now, a couple of key questions for you to consider about this principle I think are worth just really reflecting on. I know I have when I came up with some of these, but one is who is there in your life that you have had contention with recently or a disagreement with recently? And how did it end? How did those feelings feel as a part of that contentious experience? And was there resolution to it? And how can you apply this principle and President Nielsen's counsel into your own life and into the situation that may have come to mind for you? Who is there in your life that is in need of your forgiveness? Who is there in your life that needs to forgive you? And what does it mean to be a peacemaker to you? What does that look like? And maybe most importantly, how can you still be a peacemaker and still disagree with someone or not condone or accept what they have done or said about you or to you? See, I believe you can still disagree with someone. You can still not accept what somebody has said or done to you and still be a peacemaker through it all. Do your best to always remember that question, is Christ divided? Now, for the second principle, I want to go ahead uh, forward a few chapters to principle or chapter 3. We're going to take a look at verses 9 through 17. In these next couple of principles, the Apostle Paul uses metaphors, uh, some analogies to kind of help get some of these points across. And the first one I just really, really love as it relates to our foundation. In verse 9, he says, For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. I want you to mark that phrase. Ye are God's building. And I want you to reflect on that for a little bit. He says in verse 10, According to the grace of God which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Boy, please mark that verse as well. There is no other foundation that we can truly safely build on other than Christ. And he points out some of the other foundations that we sometimes tend to build on in verse 12. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, verse 13, every man's work shall be made manifest. For the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Now before I go on to finish those verses, which will actually be our, our last principle, I want to focus on what we've just read, which is all about the house's foundation, or the building's foundation, or your foundation. See, back when I was teaching seminary, one of my favorite exercises to do whenever we would read or come across or study something like this, the focus on the foundation, whether it was in places like the Book of Mormon in Helaman chapter 5 verse 12, or Helaman counseled his sons, remember, remember my sons, that it is upon the rock of our Redeemer, who is Christ, he must build your foundation. When the devil shall send forth his mighty winds, yea, you know, all the, the shaft in the world and all that stuff. Or in the New Testament where the Savior teaches the difference between building a, a house on a rock versus a house on the sand. Whenever we come across those, I love to do a little activity with my classes. 
I would begin by giving them a bunch of materials, paper and three by five cards, uh, some straws, maybe cotton balls, just a bunch of random stuff. Give them some glue, some tape, and I'd say, okay, you got, you got 15 minutes, maybe 20, to build a house. And as you build this house, I'm going to give you some instructions that can help you to be successful in this exercise. Uh, just know that at the end of the time period that your house will be tested in certain ways. And a lot of times students would kind of miss that last part. What do you mean tested? Uh, oh, well, let's start making a house. And they just start building it. And as they would do it, I would watch what they were doing. And they were always focused first on the design. And they'd spend a great deal of effort trying to come up with just the perfect design of, of how to build the house, what it's going to look like. Uh, a lot of times they would put in little amenities in the house, uh, put a chimney on it, a uh, swimming pool. They, they put some people around <laughs> all these things that they're building was I would go around, I would give them little scriptures or I'd give them little hints about the significance of a foundation and how important a foundation is. At the front of the class, I had a table that I told them that by the end of the time, your house has to be up on this table. And on the table was the word Christ in big letters on the table. And eventually, they started to, to get the object lesson that was being done. Like, okay, it's important that we build this house, but what's most important is that we secure it to a foundation, and that foundation being Christ at the front of the room. And so, it was interesting to see those groups that got a little bit quicker had a little bit more time to do just that. Instead of focusing on building the house, they just started focusing on taping uh, or doing whatever they could to make sure that that house was not going to move from, from the foundation. Inevitably, there was always a group or two that really didn't pay attention, that just really got caught up, caught up in the, the design of the house, and they didn't realize what they needed to do until maybe the last 30 seconds when they saw everyone else trying to tape their house down, and then it, it dawned on them. But by then, it was just too late. They didn't have much time, and uh, the clock would run out, and wherever they were, they just had to stop, and then that's where we started to have some fun with the houses. And it would start small, this storm that I told them, the, the testing that would come. We'd start with, uh, you know, I think the scripture says the devil would send forth his hail. So we'd use little mini marshmallows and just uh, I'd throw them at the house. And for the most part, they withstood that. But I said, you know, sometimes the hail gets a little bit bigger. And so I'd get some of the big, giant, puffy marshmallows <laughs> and I'd huck them at, at the house with, with that. Um, I used a blow dryer, you know, because the wind would shake the table with earthquakes. And then for the last thing, I'd pull out a leaf blower, like an industrial strength leaf blower, and that would just wreck the houses. Those that, that really focused on attaching their house to the foundation, it would stay. The house may be torn to shreds or really beat up, but it stayed there. And those that didn't really secure themselves to the foundation, they were just blown away. And then it made for a great discussion on what are some of the things that we can do to build our house, to make sure that we have a strong foundation in all that we're doing, in all that we are building. I love that exercise, and I've learned a lot from it for me personally. And I had all of that kind of come back to me when I was having a discussion with a friend of mine recently who was going through divorce. Talk about a storm. This was a very powerful storm that he was experiencing, a life-changing storm. He didn't see it coming. Some of the things that happened were very hurtful. There was betrayal involved. And as a result, he lost his job because he was a seminary teacher, just like I was. And at least for now, the, the policy typically is you can't teach and, and be divorced. 
And so his whole life was basically turned upside down. And as I sat in my kitchen talking to him, as he was just now starting this journey that I had been on now for the past six years, his question to me was just simply, what helped you get through all of it the most? And you know what? I don't know that I'd ever really been asked that directly, what had helped me get through exactly what I went through, just like what he is about to be going through and is going through now. But the answer that kept coming back to my mind, I thought of a lot of great things that helped. And there were a lot of things that helped. There were there was talking to, to people that had been through divorce just in general. Uh, there was the support of family and friends. There just, you know, gratitude, looking for positive things. But the honest answer that came to me that helped me get through that particular storm was everything that I had done prior to it happening or prior to me experiencing it. In other words, what helped me get through this particular storm, challenge, trial, call it whatever you want, was the foundation that I had spent a lifetime up to that point building. You see the message in that? This is what Paul is teaching here. You are God's building, and there isn't another foundation that is safe to build on other than Christ. Because, as he says, if you build on anything other than Christ, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, likes on Instagram or Facebook or followers or whatever, TikTok, whatever it may be, every man's work shall be made manifest. In other words, you will see what your foundation is through fire. (laughs) When the testing comes, when the challenges come, you will know exactly what it is, that the foundation that you've been building on. And that is a profound principle, young people. The best time to prepare for the challenges that you're going to have in your life isn't the moment that they happen or while you're going through them. It's right now. It is the things that you are doing day in and day out to build your foundation on Christ, to attach yourselves to Him. So that when the winds blow and the rains come and the hail falls and the, the whirlwinds swirl, that you will be strong enough to survive, that your house will not be blown away. Hey, you, you may be tattered, you may be torn, you may be just in shambles. But if you're still there, that's what matters. For me, that's the way I felt. I felt like my life was completely torn apart. But you know what? I was still there. I was still attached to Christ. I was still attached to his church. I wasn't going anywhere. And that's been one of the biggest blessings of my life, the foundation that I built before all of this happened to me. And I know it will be the same for my friend that's going through what he's going through now. And I know it can be the same for you. And all those things that seem very small to be doing right now, you will be so grateful and thank God that you did when the day comes where you get paid a little visit from fire, from a storm, from a challenge, a trial, whatever it is that comes to you in your life. Now, a couple of key questions for you to consider in this one. Why is the foundation the most important part of a building? I think it's important to understand that. What does the phrase, every man's work shall be made manifest, mean to you? Why is it so important to build a foundation on Christ above everything else? What do you think and why do you think that that's the case? When the testing or storms come, why is it often too late to do anything to improve the foundation? And because I really want this to sink in, I'm going to ask you again, 
When is the best time to prepare for challenges and trials? And what are you doing right now to prepare for the challenges that will come to you in your life? What can you or will you start doing to build a stronger foundation starting today? Now for our last principle I want to take a look at, principle three, it is the the last couple of verses there in chapter three, verses 16 and 17. Not only does he compare the people to God's building, but there is something even better, something more. And I love this analogy as well. Verse 16, and I want you to mark this. He says, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. In other words, not only is it important to focus on building the right foundation, but it's also vital that we recognize what it is that we're building and what we are. And he compares us to that of a temple. In other words, I hear Paul saying that the condition of your house, the condition of your physical house, affects the condition of the spirit that it houses. That's why he compares us to a temple. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. I want that principle to sink in a bit. In other words, the condition of your physical body, the way you take care of it, the things that you do to it or with it, affects the condition of the Spirit that it houses or that is in it. I want you to think about why Paul would use the symbol of a temple to compare to our bodies. Think about all the characteristics that are part of a temple. It's neat, it's clean, it's white, it's pure, it's beautiful on both the inside and outside. It's peaceful. It sticks out at night against the dark sky. And because of those things, there are feelings associated with the temple. Those feelings are powerful. You go to the temple, there is a feeling of peace, of comfort, of hope, of love, of acceptance, of joy. Again, the condition of our house affects the spirit it houses. Imagine how those feelings would change if the temple were messy, if there was garbage everywhere, if nothing was taken care of, if there was graffiti on the walls. You would have a total different experience there, wouldn't you? It would feel completely different. That spirit would be impacted dramatically. Paul wants us to see, again, that the things we do with and to our bodies absolutely affect the spirit that is in us. I remember being taught that lesson by my dog back when I had one. He, he passed away several years ago, but we had a little Maltese by the name of Bear, just the cutest little guy, but as would tend to be the case, I'd get busy and I just didn't have time to always take care of him, get him groomed in the way that he needed to be. And so there were times where his hair would just grow so long and, and straggly and It was so interesting to watch his demeanor just change as that hair grew out and he was just dirty and and grimy. He he would lay around. There was no energy. There was no life in him. So eventually I would feel bad. (laughs) I would take him to the groomers and I'd get him all cleaned up or I would trim him myself. And it was like a new dog would come home. A brand new dog. He's like 20 years of his life just got shaved off and he was feeling good about himself. He was happy. You could just sense a difference in him because of the way things changed on the outside. 
while certainly everything that's on the inside impacts us on the outside as well, the outside absolutely impacts us on the inside. And that's a very important lesson for you to learn, especially as a young person. Again, the things that you do to and with your body affect the spirit that is in it. Now, obviously, one of the things that Paul is going to refer to and that most church leaders would in this kind of context is the uh, they would address the topic of immorality. In fact, this is really in large part what Paul is trying to get at here with this principle as well, because most of the people in Corinth at that time felt that sexual immorality was acceptable and that their bodies were made primarily for pleasure. In other words, Corinth was not that different from the world today, was it? And I'm telling you, just as Paul would, that sexual sin, immorality, will suck the life and the spirit out of you quicker than just about anything. That's why he wants us to see our bodies as a temple, to treat it with respect and reverence. And when there are mistakes that are made, which there will be, and that's a part of life and mortality, this is why it's so important that we repent of them quickly. I can always tell when a teenager, really just about anybody for that matter, begins to get caught up in in immorality, whether it's physical in nature or through pornography. And I can always tell easiest with teenagers because growing up as a kid, that wasn't really an issue, right? It didn't start becoming an issue until, you know, later in your teenage years. And so it's it's so just palpable to watch uh, a young person change from this just happy, bubbly person that they always were as a kid to suddenly there's this darkness, this depressiveness that comes over them, this being quick to anger. And this is happening because when there's immorality, the spirit begins to be shut out from a young person's life through that practice and through those acts. And without the spirit, that's just what happens. Things get darker. The person is quicker to anger. They want don't want to be around spiritual things as much because they don't feel comfortable there. They're depressed more, discouraged more, and get caught up in despair. And if this has happened to you, please understand that you're not alone if you struggle with immorality, especially in today's world. I mean, it's hard enough to resist donuts when you walk past or through a donut shop. You know what I'm talking about if you've ever been in one. But when you pretty much live in one constantly, boy, that gets really hard to resist. And that is the world that we live in. It is thrown in our faces constantly. Remember, Satan always wins, though, when we hide. God knows what you've done or what you're doing, and he loves you regardless. He knew you would make those mistakes and provided a way not only for you to be forgiven of them, but to overcome them. You just have to trust him and be a little vulnerable by admitting to him and oftentimes to a bishop that you are struggling with it. And you know what your bishop will say to you? Welcome to planet earth and to the human race. Thank you for opening up and trusting me with that. Now, let's get to work to be forgiven of these things and to overcome them. And I can tell you, I can always tell when a teenager has begun to go through the repentance process because there's light again. There's joy, there's peace, there's hope, there's patience, there's love. But this also applies to other things as well, not just immorality. And I'm going to throw a few of them out there to you, especially as young people. Again, the condition of your physical house affects the spirit that it houses. So here's a tough one. I know you're not going to be able to answer this as well as you would like. Are you getting enough sleep? (laughs) Because sleep will absolutely affect the spirit 
that is in your body and the way that you feel. And you know what I'm talking about. Same with nutrition. As much as I love Taco Bell, if I eat Taco Bell all the time, that's all that I eat, it's going to affect the spirit that is in me, not just my physical body. Same with exercise. How we take care of ourselves matters. Yet at the same time, to balance that out, there needs to be moderation in all things. I know of people that care so much about what they look like in their physical body that they basically just live at a gym, and that's not healthy either. To become obsessed with those kind of things, or that, you know, that sleep too long, or that, that eat uh, too healthy, I think. God gave us 2,000, over 2,000 taste buds for a reason. I think it's okay if we, we eat some candy once in a while, a little bit of ice cream, chocolate, at least that's my opinion. But Satan is an extremist. And if he can't get us from one end of the the spectrum, he will get us on the other. And so just know that the the safest place we can be is in the middle. To get enough sleep, but not too much and not too little. To eat healthy enough, but not obsessive about it. To get as much exercise is what will do us good, but not again too much to where we become obsessed with what we look like or too little that it doesn't really impact us. Just understand the way that we take care of our bodies affects the spirit that it houses. So a couple key questions for you to consider on this one. Why do you think the spirit and body are so closely related and connected? How have you noticed the condition of your physical body affecting your spirit and your emotions? Another great question to consider and I would even suggest discuss. I think this needs, we need to be open with this. Because everyone struggles with this in some form or another at some point in their life, if not throughout their life, is how have you noticed immorality sapping you of spiritual strength? Why do you think God is so concerned with us learning to govern our bodies and to learn to discipline ourselves with their use and with their care? One of the things I might just throw out there quickly, uh, even in answering my own question, is if God intends for us if it's our destiny to govern planets and universes, just like he does, then what would that say about us if we can't even learn to govern our own body? Does that make sense? You see why this is so important? There's so much more in play than just learning to govern our bodies. Learning to govern and control our bodies is really the first universe that we've been given. And until we learn to govern and and discipline ourselves to, to do so in a healthy way, It might be a while before we are able to be given much more than that. Another question you could consider is, what are you doing now to take care of your body and to treat it as a temple? What can you start doing better to make sure your body is in better condition to house your spirit? Is it possible to get overbalanced in this and place too much emphasis on the physical body? How can you find balance in this and not become obsessed with what you look like physically? How can a person learn to develop morality in an immoral world? And finally, what kinds of things have helped you to stay strong when you've been tempted to misuse your body or someone else's body? Those are good questions. I hope that you'll take some time to consider and just a few principles that you will find in studying 1 Corinthians chapters 1-7. through 7. There are so many other great things in there. I hope that you'll take the time to go through and find some of those on your own, to think through them in the same process, to mark them, to highlight them, to find ways to apply them into your life. And you know, if there was one I would encourage you to remember this week, it would be the first one. Is Christ divided? 
and to resolve to be a peacemaker in your own life. In any situation, in any circumstance, in any relationship where there isn't peace, make it. Do whatever you need to to be a true disciple of Christ and bring people together. As always, remember that that person is greatest and most blessed and joyful whose life most closely approaches the pattern of the Christ. This has nothing to do with earthly wealth, power, prestige. The only true test of greatness, blessedness, joyfulness is how close a life can come to being like the Master Jesus Christ. He is the right way, the full truth, and the abundant life, and He invites us all to come follow me. Let's follow him better this week and become better as we follow him. As always, have a great week, everyone. Thank you for listening. Until next week, I'm Josh Downs, and you've been listening to Come Follow Me for Teens.